Okay, so we are recording. This is the Coach Haas podcast powered by Sports Rehab PA. And uh, another Thursday night here with my co-host, Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike, uh, how's it going, buddy? Going, man. We're back. It was we're all back. Yeah, man. We were just busy for a while, towards, especially the, into the fall and the winter. So we're getting back into the swing of things in the spring and summer. Yep. This is, uh, this is week two. So uh, this week, interesting thing we have, um, I was going through my Instagram and I, I came across, I use the hashtag a lot, soccer doctor. And um, I happened to be scrolling through and I saw a post through a soccer doc with underscore at the end there. And um, so I went in and looked at some of the, uh, the photos and, and, and things like that. And it was interesting. So I reached out to um, Dr. Pat, who we're going to have on tonight, and um, I said, would you be uh, willing to come on the podcast? So he obliged, and so here we are. I'm going to uh, do a brief introduction. This is uh, Dr. Pat. I'm not going to botch your last name. I'll let you do that. He's a doctor of physical therapy. Um, he teaches injury prevention tips and also how to heal from injury. So this kind of goes right up our alley. We'll, uh, we'll kind of get into a bunch of different things with them, you know, uh, specifically ACL. I definitely want to talk that. That's, that's my wheelhouse. Um, so we're definitely going to get into that. But without any um, further ado, we're, uh, we're going to introduce uh, Dr. Pat. Dr. Pat, welcome to the show, man. Hey, how are you guys? Thank you for having me on. A very, very kind introduction there. Definitely made me sound a lot better than I actually am on Instagram. So pleasure. Thank you for the introduction. Nice to meet you guys. My name is Dr. Pat on Instagram and social media. I go by Soccer Doc. And like Haas said, my passion is physical therapy. That's my, my profession. I help athletes, especially injured athletes, rehab, get back to their best self. And stole the hashtags all along soccer on Instagram. That's how Haas found me. So thank you for having me on, guys. No worries. So kind of take me, uh, take me through a little bit. How long have you been doing this? Um, yes. Where are you doing it out of? Right. So I've been doing physical therapy for the past two years. That's when I graduated from Seton Hall University and got my doctorates in physical therapy. Currently, I work in New Jersey. I work in about central Jersey, a small town called Garwood, New Jersey, right between Cranford and Westfield. We are an outpatient clinic. And this means that we see mostly orthopedic conditions. We see patients who are just coming out of surgery. We see high school athletes. We see college athletes. We can also see pediatric children come in with different injuries. And we also see your average elderly adult who's having balance issues or pain from osteoarthritis. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. How much, um, how much of the, the younger athlete do you see in there? Right. It, I would say about 30% of my caseload is the younger athlete. It depends on the season. Right now where I'm located, we are between a, two towns that are really good in the sports of baseball and football. When those seasons are in, I, we get quite a bit more of those athletes. And, yeah, I would say about 20 to 30% of those athletes. And then every once in a while during their summer off season, they come in as well to fix a sort of injury they're having. A new case that I'm actually watching pop up that, of course, we've never had before, the new times. I'm also getting some athletes that are returned to sport because of COVID. A few of athletes that I've gotten so far, they're team physicians. I have one college baseball player from a school out in Pennsylvania his coach had him come out for a return to sport after following contracting COVID. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I know Mike's up there. He's thinking he's ready to rock and roll. What do you got, Mike? 
Uh, let's start with your schooling, man. So uh, describe what uh, the DPT program is like at Seton Hall. I'm just curious to learn um, what's going on with these programs. I, I went to University of Sciences in Philly. Um, I was a second DPT class to graduate. So I graduated in 2010, you know, so um, just interesting to see how things change because I know how things were when I was there and a lot of feedback forms and constant changes to the curriculum and all that. So just describe a little bit like what Seton Hall was like. Right, absolutely. And there has been a change in curriculum since I graduated, but I think Seton Hall was an excellent school. I'm very happy I went there for physical therapy. Basically, how you start off there as a student is you start off your first year, year and a half of PT school, learning all about the, the fundamentals, the anatomy, learning the kinesiology, getting those down, those fundamental skills. And then your last year and a half, you're going into your internships and you're getting experience in outpatient clinics, hospital settings, acute care settings. So I found that it was a great foundation to build at school. But as you know, most of our learning happens outside of school, outside of the classroom. The degree is just a piece of paper. It's getting your hands dirty that really teaches you most. And I'm grateful that during my time there, I was playing on the men's soccer team. And I was able to practice more of my coaching, more of my training with the players. And that's I found that most of my learning did come from that too, especially when dealing with athletes. Where did you do your clinicals at? I did my clinicals. I did outpatient clinicals in an orthopedic clinic uh, right near my town. I did one at Mountainside Hospital. Um, it's part of Hackensack Group. I did a clinical there. And then I also did a clinical in a elderly nursing home. So kind of got a range of those experiences, plus some smaller clinicals there at like a pediatrics facility for about six weeks here and there. Nice. You said that uh, most of the, the, well, the two big sports up there seem to be baseball and football. Yes. Um, and you played soccer. Yes. How much do you see of the soccer athlete there? Oh, I definitely see a good amount of soccer as well. It's, um, I tend to see a little bit more older soccer athletes, more because of the reach that I've luckily had within the soccer community in my county. Right now I have a goalie for my soccer team who's coming out. I have another, a former defender, within the team next door, team in the town next over who's reached out to me to come out. I would say we get tend to get a few more high school girls soccer players um, coming out to our clinic. But I'd say out of all of the sports, maybe soccer is about 15 to 20% of the athletes that come into our regular outpatient clinic. I'd say 85% of my business is female soccer players. Well. Yeah. Um, and some of that is because that's kind of where I've been pigeonholed into. I've worked for a, uh, my alma mater soccer, the high school, uh, the soccer team. And I was there for nine years. I, I actually never played, which is the, the, the funniest part of the whole thing is I always get that's asked, excellent. you know, uh, yeah, you know what position that I play this and that I'm like, I never played, you know? So, um, but I've been around it for a long time. So I think that I'm, some of that is by default. Um, I think the other part of that is the clear science that we see or the studies that are out there that, that females are just 70%, you know, higher risk of, of doing it. Right. Um, you know, and I've done some studies and I'm actually doing this presentation in, in, in a few weeks. And some of that talks about like, part of the reason is because they don't strength train, you know? So, I know that you're seeing them in the, you know, in a capacity where they're injured. Um, right. 
but kind of take me through the first off do you see any acl there because that's that's yes. the big one that i see do you see that and you see that in the females there and kind of take me through like that the first couple of weeks there right no definitely i agree with your comments about the strength training just to brush off on that i feel that as I got into the profession and started looking back at our own experiences as a soccer player, I've learned that a lot of our coaches, you know, soccer hasn't progressed as much in the USA as in Europe and other countries. I'm originally from Brazil originally. And in the USA soccer programs, whether you're looking at high school and it starts even younger, a lot of our coaches learn soccer at a very basic level, especially how to train. It's a lot of linear patterns forward and back and athletes aren't really getting the lateral stability aren't so much more things that we could touch upon. So I agree with you that proper strength training just isn't done at the high school level from what I feel from my experience. And yes, the first couple of weeks after ACL injuries, ACL being one of the most common soccer injuries, especially in female athletes, first few weeks, it's all about, you know, we go through a rice protocol, we're resting, icing, compression, elevation, and then now slowly starting to get some of that neuromuscular control back into their quads, back into their knees, because most, most of these athletes have spent at least four weeks in the cast, at least four weeks of not doing any weight bearing at all in their leg. Now they've lost, atrophy has kicked in, so they're losing a lot of the muscle strength. So those four, four, first four weeks, our goal is decrease swelling and start getting some of that muscle firing back in. Awesome. Mikey? Yeah, I, uh, I had a patient who... Um, actually discharged going to Joe now for the next phase of strength training. Um, he was pulling up on Instagram, some of the uh, like professional athletes, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, specifically and his training. Um, and I actually heard his personal trainer, uh, Chris Knott at Dunamis Performance that he goes up in Colorado on a podcast. So I know that guy's pretty good, um, really cool philosophy training, but he was asking, he's like, how is he squatting so much weight? And I said, well, that's just because his base level was there. You know, I mean, this guy's a pro athlete, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't always matter about how strong you are. I mean, there's other, other imbalances that these guys have, which is why they are getting injured the way they were. We saw a ton of injuries this year with COVID, you know, because I think they just hit this lull and then didn't do the power progressions back. Um, but I use that example to explain that, you know, every athlete is different depending on their base. Sometimes, you know, some kids have a really strong base. Even some of the females were very strong to begin with. They come out like a week post-op and they, they had, they could get good extension. They could stand on one leg, you know, the quads already contracting. I don't even have to use us, uh, and uh, NMES. And then you get some kids that come in and, uh, they're really weak. They just can't get that quad to fire. A lot of swelling is painful. Um, you know, I think it just really varies on, I guess, just the base base of the kid, you know, and what they're doing. Um, but the biggest thing that Joe and I always talk about is just, you know, the organized sports and the push for the specificity of the sport is the biggest thing that is just killing this youth population. It's just, you know, I think it's the lack of education for the parents and the coaches and for the athlete to understand, you know, you're not meant to do this one thing all the time. Right. And interesting enough, I don't know if you've heard this, but the research that I last saw in, in an updated course I took last year, it was, it was like a, uh, a MedBridge online thing. It was just like, a, you know, an update. And uh, <clears throat> they were just talking about when they did studies, the kids that um, specialized before the age, I think of, um, it was like 16, don't yes. have any greater chance of making pro level or, or higher level 
Um, but after 16, if they started to specialize, then they probably had a chance there. But it's showing that they should be just doing different things up until that, that point, up until that age, you know. And these kids are coming out of, like, the womb and they're playing soccer. Absolutely. Yeah. you got to right. cross-train. Got to cross-train. Right, 100%. And look at it in the soccer level. Um, Jordan Morris, he's a USA national team player. Yep. Just the guy is built. Guy is built like a tank. He's an he's a athlete, phenomenal athlete. He plays out on the wing. He's got speed. He's got pace. He's got power. I think he was a top level player coming out of college from I believe it was Stanford. Don't quote me on that. But the player he also Jordan Morris. He speaks of how he played all sports growing up. As, as initially, he I think he played more baseball, played football, played all sports. His parents allowed him that freedom to explore different sports. And like Mike was saying, once you play different sports, you're picking up different skills. You're picking up stability. You're picking up lateral motions. You're picking up all kinds of skills that would translate. Very recently, a very famous college coach came out and said, if I was recruiting between two players, would I pick a player? And there was one player. Player A specialized in one sport for years. Player B played multiple sports. Every time I would pick player B who played multiple sports because the athlete gained multiple skills that would be used in the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you just, I mean, listen, I don't want to date myself. Right. But the, the, the honesty is that, you know, when it was springtime, you played baseball, when it was summertime, you right. played basketball, when it was winter, you played football. And like, you just, I mean, and then there was other, the other, you know, sports involved, you know, hockey and, and, and whatever. Um, but the season dictated the sport that you were playing and that's, that's how you did it. You know, I just want to touch back on the, the thing with the NFL, I'm curious to know, and I guess we could find this out, if the NFL injuries were higher this year than last year, and, you know, uh, could we kind of make some of that uh, basis because of COVID and, and soft t- maybe soft tissue injuries being higher? I, I would, I would right. definitely think that. Because I thought that that would be the case in the, uh, the Premier League as well. And it seems to be as the season's going on now, you're starting to see a whole lot more of these guys oh. dropping, and it's unfortunate. Oh, yes. I, I very, you touched upon the Premier League and injuries. I've actually gaining, been gaining so much more views off my YouTube channel from just covering Liverpool and Liverpool's injury problems that they have. Yeah. I could count probably eight players who have recently gotten injured. Every game, this seems to be a new high-level player getting injured all across Premier League. And Mike said earlier in the podcast, he said – hey, these guys didn't go through the proper load progression in the preseason, and now they've been asked to just jump right into there for a very short preseason. NFL, I think they had, what, two games for the preseason this year? There just wasn't much preparation, and we're going to see these injuries come up. So, Pat, I don't know, like, how much you've been aware of this or, like, where, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe you might have learned it across Mm -hmm. working in your career, but I know it became an eye-opener to me after um, I took – like a Kevin Will course and okay. started learning a little bit more under, you know, Mike Reinhold, all those guys are champions. Yes. And then going to other continuing ed courses and, um, you know, actually meeting some young guys who have a chance to work with uh, pro level athletes. Um, I went to a, an HVLA course up in North Jersey and was at one of the Jets training facility. Nice. There was a younger PT there, got to work with the team. He only did it actually for a, a couple of years because you just, you really locked into that. And it's hard to ha- have a life really, you know, uh, aside from that type of career. You're always with that team and stuff. But he did it for the experience. And I, th- I think that now, you know, we know so much more insight. But I've learned that a lot of these pro athletes through their organization, the care isn't really that great. 
And I've learned that through these continuing ed courses, through these guys that work with them. Also listening to podcasts of specialists and guys that were trainers that work with this population. And everyone thinks, well, they're a pro athlete. So through every organization they're through, it's like here in Philly, oh, they go through the NovaCare, they must be getting best care. And it's not true because I've learned that guys who make it into that training room don't always qualify to get there. A lot of good trainers don't get their shot because nobody knows they're around. And a lot of right. trainers get there because it's not, you haven't really earned your spot per se by your talent. It's maybe, I use this analogy all the time. Maybe as a kid, you, you, you know, someone like your dad knows the neighbor and he works in like the accounting in the office. And he's like, Hey, let me get your son in there right. to shadow and hang out with those guys. It'd be kind of cool. And then you keep going back every summer. And before you know it, they're like, Hey, get your education. We'll hire you. And before you know it, you're a trainer working with pros, but right. really good. And that's who's in there. So I've learned that these guys have to go out and seek personal trainers that are out there. And there's a bunch of big guys. And these athletes have to travel, work with them one-on-one. And it's for any sport. And I've learned that even from treating patients that, you know, even like professional tennis players or semi-pro players, those guys, it's an individual thing. They have to go out and each like these pro tennis players have nutritionists, massage, physical therapists, right. you know, dietitian, all this stuff, personal chef. They have their own team of guys that take care of them. And that's what I'm trying to explain to these young athletes and these kids that really, I want to go to a, I want to go on a scholarship to college and stuff like that. And I'm like, look, you, you have to maintenance yourself. You have to, absolutely. If you want, if you, I'm, I'm like, what's the difference between a pro athlete and you, you're playing soccer fall, winter and, and, and summer, right. you know, spring, summer all year round. The only difference between you and a pro athlete is not getting paid. Oh yeah. What's the difference? You're playing all year round. It's right. like a job. All right. You need to take the time to treat yourself like a pro athlete. If you want to be at that level, you have to take the time to do your self care and you have to be smart about it. But you know, I think that there's that also push from the parents that, well, you need to be involved in all these clubs, right? You know, and, and if you're not involved in the clubs, those clubs are money makers too. And they want to push these parents to enroll their kids because they want to make the money and they want to make them seem well, you have a better shot at making this spot and all this other stuff. And, and honestly, it's bullshit yeah. because the kids are constantly doing it. And once the kid gets injured, well, it's next man up and your kid's not doing himself any favor sitting on the bench. So if you burn your kid out, someone else is waiting right there, you know? So, I mean, what do you see with that? Like, how do you deal with that? Right. Well, that's crazy how you were just mentioning that. I recently, last week, I had a, a young soccer player reach out to me on Instagram, actually direct messages. And he asked me, he's like, Hey, Pat, I see you post these videos. This is what I'm going through. I've been feeling pain in my groin for the past year during this past season. Right now I'm playing for a club. This is his off season. He's playing for a higher level club. I think he's out in Ohio. He's not in New Jersey or PA. And he said, I've been feeling this groin pain, but my team trains four days a week. This is my schedule. I train four days a week. And then in the weekends, I have a tournament game on Sundays. What do you think I should do? I said, Hey, if you're feeling this pain, this is your off season. You need to rest. And you need to, to rehab this injury. And then he messaged me a couple of days later. I'm doing PT now. How often do you want me to play soccer? I still do it every day. So I told him, do PT. Do two days of technical training with a ball, not high-level intensity, just you dribbling a ball. Keep your skills. Work on those skills, but avoid any type of explosive movement. And I suggested talk to your physical therapist. My opinion, if you were my patient, would be take the time to rest and to heal. And like you said, you need the maintenance. And part of the maintenance is even just giving your body time to heal they're playing like professional athletes, you know, without, without the money and they need without the money. Play. And without the education, 
you know, Education, and we're absolutely. doing the best, you know, that we can to educate them, but it, a lot of it goes in one ear and out the other, you know, right. because they just like, okay, like your perfect example, like you told them the rest and, you right. know, usually you get the call in a week and say, Hey, listen, it really hurts now. Why? Cause I went to practice the other night and you know, like, what do you mean? Like you just asked me what right. I should do. I told you the rest and you went to practice because the coach wants to know why you're not there. Right. Absolutely. You know? and so you, you just, you have to know your body. You have to know your body. This uh, very sad case last, I would say about six months ago during COVID, I met a young athlete. He played multiple sports. He played football and basketball during the football season of last fall, not this fall, the fall of last year, he had gotten a back injury, didn't really know it was, his back was hurting, went to see a sports doctor. The sports doctor said, okay, you're fine. You could go play basketball. So he, his mom signed him up for high school basketball. He still kept feeling his pain. By the time I saw him in spring, he had seen another doctor who did an MRI of his back, found out he had a sports fracture. He had a, a fracture, a, a stress fracture of his, uh, of his spine, his lower lumbar spine. Now, the protocol for this is as soon as you get it, you're supposed to rest for at least a month. Some doctors will even say two months. They, some doctors will even put you in a brace for a month mm -hmm. so that you're not really twisting or bending your back too much. Now, this poor athlete was feeling pain, said, Mom, I want to play basketball. Mom said, yes, go play high school basketball. Still kept going on. So he had this fracture on ever since the time he got hit in the football. So he went through football, basketball, doing all the rebound, never rested. Different example, recently I just finished, discharged a patient who was a, he's a high school baseball player here in Union County, New Jersey. The athlete was diagnosed with the same stress fracture at the same level of his spine, but the doctor diagnosed it early, did MRI early, saw that he had a stress fracture, didn't wait to do MRI, but did it right away. Just told the kid rest for a month. By the time I saw him, he's like, at the eval, he said, yeah, Pat, I don't really feel any back pain at all. We did rehab for about six weeks, got him doing high level stuff. He's back to playing baseball preseason now. Yep. Rest is so important. Yep. Compliance and rest. I think it's the, the rest from the aggravating factor. Yes. You know, I think that the parents and the kids need to understand that the body cannot withstand the demands that they're doing. And that's what I try to tell them. There's a difference between sitting on the couch mm -hmm. versus not doing the aggravating thing. So like you said, you could do ball skills. We could do – passing right. drills but doing the sprints and the sharp cuts and stuff you can't right. do that right now and I mean that's even also how you know Joe and I communicate I'm progressing when I when I explain to him well what's the next step and I said well you're very stable for these type of things but the running the cutting like go to soccer and work skills get familiar with your plays your camaraderie with, with your right. teammates but you can't go 100% on the sprints and stuff and the coaches need to understand that right. that it's not focusing on what you can't do, but focusing on what you can do. It's the same thing, you know, when an overhead athlete, you got a basketball player, you could still stand and practice your shots, practice some dribbling versus doing bounding and layups and all this other stuff and sharp cutting and twisting. There's a difference. Right. You can still work skills, work hand-eye coordination. There's a lot of other things you could do without aggravating right. what's going on while we're trying to build – the foundation so your body can complete that movement. I think you need to understand that the pain is the message that you can't do this right now. You can't do what's required of you, you know? Absolutely. And you'll be surprised at how much you can sharpen other skills there in that time period. I remember last year, Karis Lover, a basketball player for the Brooklyn Nets, went down with a very bad ankle injury. The guy must have worked on his shot so much. One, he probably started lifting more weights. He came back 
much stronger, more muscle definition. His free throw shooting, just his form was so much more improved. Like you said, Mike, you can improve your form and other, other techniques. Absolutely. So what, um, I guess, what type of like protocols are you going through, uh, with the, you know, the post ACL meniscus, all that stuff. Like do you have a progression that you like to do and then certain outcome measures. So like, for instance, what I do is obviously we get, either the foundational stuff back, you know, the range of motion, mobility. I progress them with a lot of muscle activation stuff on unloaded positions, like on the table. I follow a lot of like SFMA, FMS stuff, because it makes a lot of sense to me that we need to get your body aware in these positions. And then we graduate you off the table and we start progressing to those balanced things, doing that and then kind of progressing the loading. Once they could demonstrate the functional movements regular, then we start adding in, dynamic surfaces, weights, all that. And then I have tests that I'll use like the motor control screen through the FMS to look at their horizontal lower extremity reach to get a baseline. And then the higher level thing is obviously the fundamental capacity screen where we could test their impact control, explosive control, power expression. And these give us these, these guidelines to show us when the athlete is actually ready instead of like when I was first practicing, it was like, yeah, you look good. You're at six months, go run. Right. There was no rationale for why or you're ready. And this, the athlete can clearly see it. There's data, there's objective numbers. And if you deny it, you're looking at, it's basically like the science is right there. You could see right. it and you can see the quality. I'm giving film it and you could see, maybe you hit the numbers, but your quality of movement to get there was horrible. Absolutely. You know, so you're compensating. So you clearly see it. So we have all those we like to use. What type of stuff are you using? Right. Absolutely. Last year, I did a presentation, an ACL injury prevention pe- presentation. I had a lot of college athletes and high school athletes came out, mostly from Keene University to Division II College out here in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I learned the most from gathering the research in this study is that once the athlete is able, like you said, go through the fundamentals in the beginning, once they're ready to do the activities, the tests that I found most useful for me with my athletes were one, double leg hop forward, measure their distance, measure and then double leg hop, six meter test. I measure how fast they can double leg hop six meters. Now, once they can do that safely, I'm looking at their body symmetry with each leg. So I look at a single leg hop. This For distance, I draw a line out, have them jump the distance with their non-involved limb, their non-injured leg, then measure the difference between the other leg. Then we're looking at six meter time, single leg hop test, see the difference in seconds. And research has shown that athletes who have a, big difference in the seconds and distance are just greater at risk of developing a further injury. And like Haas was saying, he was looking at ACL injury and I'm sure he's come across this, that once you injure one ACL, even if you've had the operation, even if you're hundred percent full, your risk of tearing the other ACL is, is increased because you don't develop the proper body mechanics following. Yeah. So that sounds very similar to what the fundamental capacity screen uses. Yeah. I don't know if, you, if, you, if you're familiar with that, through FMS systems. Yes. Yeah, I take components of it and fit okay. the athlete's need. Nice. It, it does look at that. It looks at the broad jump is the first one. Right. Um, but there's measures they have to do before they can even do that because if they don't have a good squat form and not a functional squat, you're not jumping. Right. You can't load properly. Um, and they have to have good, obviously, full mobility too. I mean, they have to have good ankle mobility, knee mobility. They have to have the functional squat. And then can they clear their, their height in the distance? If they don't get there, but the jump looks safe, 
is just telling you they need training on being able to how to express power. Because sometimes right. the movement looks safe and looks good, but the, the kid doesn't know how to jump because no one ever taught them and they're not playing. They're not jumping over fences and, <laughs> and yeah. climbing in trees and stuff. Like they're not right. they're, they're on the couch. I joke with Joe all the time. Snapchat, oh, got to go in the car, go to practice. All right. That's no power. Right. They're not outside like right. chasing each other and doing stuff. Right, right. Um, and then, yeah. And then it will go into the double broad jump. So it looks at how well can you rebound and recycle. So when I land, how well can I express that power again to rebound? Um, but they also do the single leg thing, like you're talking about, how well they go to jump off of one leg and land on two. But if they go to push off of that one leg and it's, it's really bad, and right. you try to coach them to fix it, and they still can't fix it, you nix the test. It's not, yeah, ready. not ready. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't even do that test with them because through the progressions of training, I make sure that we're training that single leg through, you know, eccentric, you know, type of squats, reverse lunges, lateral stuff. So I'm training that. But sometimes an athlete comes in and they just want to do that performance test and you have no background on them at all. And you have to do right. that. Right, you're not ready at all. Yeah, so Joe might send me an athlete and say, we need to do the fundamental capacity screen. Maybe they're going into playoff season. I'd never work with them. I see them, and I see that right away. Like, we're not doing that, you know, right. because I already know that when they get to the 2-1-2 two, two bound, when they have to jump, jump off of one, land on two, and go back to one, it's not, right. not going to look good. And we noticed that that return to sport play, the six-meter hop test, that we find a lot of athletes find a way to, to compensate. So they could get the distance on the one leg mm-hmm. or they could get the, um, the, the time, but the quality is really bad. They're twisting their torso. There's valgus. There's foot collapse. Right. But the parents, like, but they hit the time. I'm like, but the quality to get there was really right. right. And the fundamental capacity screen kind of is, is a safety net that picks up on that. Because I do all that before I do that six-meter hop test because that's the six-meter test is all single-leg stuff. But if they can't pass the single-leg stuff in the fundamental capacity, they're not ready for that yet. So they, they, they get their mindset on this return to sport test, and that's all they think is the numbers they have to pass, they have to pass. They're not understanding the quality. So my analogy is, you know, you're, you're flooring your car with the emergency brake on, and maybe you pass the finish line, but you just wrecked your car to get there. Right. Where are we going with this? You're not going to make it to collegiate level. You're going to, you know, so that's what another roadblock. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you don't fix those patterns, like you said, you need the quality. It's quality over quantity, quality over the seconds, quality over the distance. Because our goal, it's not just to get the player back to their college season. It's overall to get them to complete their full season, get them to enjoy life as an athlete too. It's not just about getting back to the seasons, get back to doing what they do best you know, perform their sport and be a good human being, get back to doing all of those things. Yeah. You can't rush them out to the field, you know. And in professional sports, we also, we can't compare. A parent may say, oh, you know, this athlete was back in four weeks and, you know, my my son's been sitting at home for two months now. Why is he, Why haven't you allowed him to get back on the field? Well, think about it. Those are million-dollar athletes. It's a business. The team needs to get that athlete out because the fans want to come see them play. They're paying him a lot of money to play. He doesn't have two months to sit at home. Your son needs to rehab, needs to get that proper knee control and land and get the single leg strength, the single leg stability. Because guess what? If your son misses two more weeks of practice, of of football, of soccer, whatever it may be, but he doesn't get injured in the future, it's worth it. So we need to build those mechanics and fundamentals. And you know what? To, to To go one more step with that, I've become more of an advocate because we've had several already unfortunately several 
three tears. I've become an advocate, and I think that Mike and I, I what we really need to do is, is start really documenting this and, and getting the research. I don't believe, now again, we're gonna go back to it depends, right? So let's just use a small window. Let's say our 14 to 19 year old female soccer player, okay? I don't think that they should be back before 12 months. In a game, in a game, right. return to games, 12 to 15 months. And then even when you're in games, it's minimizing the amount of time. I'm just, to me, I still think, and going back to your point about the professional athlete, but even one better, chances are, you know, that athlete was already in a really, really good condition oh, before that injury. We're right. talking about a 14 or 17 year old girl that has never strength trained before in her life, who's now has atrophy on a, on a, you know, on an injured leg that now needs to get that muscle back, but now not get it back, get it back to the point where we're not going to have this happen again. And yes. twice a week coming into the gym and not being compliant and doing things at home isn't getting you there in 12 months. It's getting you there in 15 and these kids and these parents hear and see nine, six to nine to 12 or six to nine to 10 months in that range of returning back to sport. And that's why you're seeing a lot of retares. Oh, in my 100%. opinion, in my opinion. Oh, I, I totally agree with you guys. I didn't share with you guys earlier. I should have, but what got me involved in this field was, you know, I was, I thought it regarded myself as a high level soccer player, whatever it may be, but going into my sophomore year right in county playoffs I was a starting forward I was only JV so I can't even say promising soccer stars on JV starting forward dislocated my kneecap was rushed to the hospital fine then I did track and field in the winter I got second in the counties for 50 meter hurdle dash I thought it was a great get back to it in gym class kneecap dislocated again so I had surgery on my knee to fix that swelling never went away next summer I had another surgery on my knee from those two surgeries, I rehabbed, but I got to the point of rehab where I was just so sick of rehabbing. And now, honestly, at that point in high school, I gave up on playing soccer. It's like, you know, I'm done with it, all of these injuries. Didn't really do the proper rehab that Mike was speaking about and you were speaking about, you know, the single leg and all of those neuromuscular factors that even to this day, if I don't take the time preseason to train those body mechanics and I just jump into the season, oh, my my form is off, my knee is off, and I know I'm, I'm one – quick twist away from injuring my knee again yep. such a such a powerful thing to actually train those movement patterns and so so important yeah the other the other thing that i really wanted to investigate and i think that um you know joe is starting to do is something we want to look at more is all right so they go through the physical therapy they go through um, more sports specific rehab um and they look good with higher demands but now uh, can we really challenge them under a lot of fatigue? So we were talking last summer about a lot of like uh, like high intensity training almost to simulate the stimulus that these kids will experience. So the stop and go, the stop and go under a period of time. So, you know, putting them kind of through a gauntlet of something, whether it be, you know, you're doing an assault bike and then you're coming off and you're doing some type of movement. Maybe it's like goblet squats and then 
go and do soccer drills. When those legs have are trying, you're trying to, um, you know, get the uh, the lactic acid out. Right. You're trying to, um, you know, keep your, you know, uh, get your oxygen levels at the right right level. You know, you're under that fatigue point, so your body's trying to, you know, get that blood flowing, which is what's going to happen towards the end of a game. Heat, humidity, stuff like that, things to simulate it. So now, when they're under that pressure and they're fatigued, how well do they look when they go to cut and they go to get the ball? I think that would be a final test and something that I think that the kids will enjoy, but you could really see it and say, look, this is what's happening when you're getting tired. You're getting sloppy, making them aware of it because it's different than when they're doing it and, and their heart rate's low and yeah, you right. can do the side lunge and you could do the sled push and stuff. But now what happens when those legs really feel like lead and you're trying to go through these soccer drills or Joe sometimes does the stuff where he comes with a Swiss ball and he hits them to simulate a player getting hit. And that's one thing right. I can communicate to some of the females because they, uh, you know, I think at that, at that age, you know, there's a lot of insecurity with the posture. They're all very in like this, you know, slouched. I said, you got to, you got to open up and you got to be posture. You got to be confident because a bigger girl comes and hits you and you're just all non-confident. You're, you're going to get rattled, you know? So you have to be able to be confident. So there's also that, the, the, the between the ears type game, that happens there's all these things that come in and you know I think that the parents are so eager to get the kids back on the field and get them doing this but there's all these other components because I mean the big the big thing is ACL should not be happening you know it's common but it's not normal it's like diabetes is common it's not normal you know hypertension is common it's not normal these are things that we've accepted as oh they have it but it shouldn't be happening these kids should not be tearing this ligament at the rate that they are so the rehab and the whole process to get back to playing at a level, it's, it's a long course and they have to understand it's expensive, but if you do it right, the you know, proper way, it should never happen again, you know? Right. And you mentioned it, you know, you guys were both speaking about Haas and you, Mike, were both speaking about the fatigue and the, the factor that fatigue will play into injuries and the presentation I did with the college athletes. I learned that once stamina goes down, the risk of ACL injuries are much higher. You'll see in professional soccer, ACL injuries tend to happen in the 75th, 80th minute. They don't usually happen in the fifth minute of a game. It's that because once you fatigue, you start losing some of your core strength, your hips start swaying a little more. You don't have that stability. And like you guys said, they need to go through the rehab process because how are you going to tell a parent, yes, your kid was out for a month. He sat around at home, like Haas was saying, maybe he went to the gym twice, but at home, they didn't really go through their exercise, didn't work what we suggested to them as much how are you going to tell them that yes this kid is in top cardio shape to be back playing their sport at 110 percent we both know you know as as athletes and as trainers that to build up the cardio and build up that endurance for sports you need more than just four weeks of training you need more than that and you need proper training to stress your heart and stress your cardio to the level where it can maintain that that ability to build on stamina and build on endurance i promise my kids when they come in i say Yes, it's hard to simulate game conditioning, but I promise you when you walk out of here, you're not going to walk into soccer practice going, wow, I'm deconditioned. I promise you. I promise you because they spend, after the typical session with me is anywhere between 75 and 90 minutes. So when they finish with me, they have a good 25 to 30-minute cardio program. And if any any of my athletes are listening to this podcast, which they all better be freaking listening, um, they know that they hate that airdyne bike at the end, and that thing is brutal. After you've it's done a leg workout, 
after yeah. you've done a leg workout and, and then I'm handing you that to do as your cardio, like, yeah, that's, that's to me, like you're going to be ready, you know, but it's hard oh. to, you know, it's hard to simulate it, but um, you know, we, we, we do the best we can there with that. I did have a question for both of you guys as far as, I mean, it really comes down more on, on, you know, me as the, the, uh, bridge between the physical therapy and the sports performance. But in your opinion, Pat, I'll ask you first, and then Mike, you kind of yes. chime in here. Um, what do you think, or when do you think that the athlete is ready for sprinting? Sprinting. Okay. Coming off of an ACL. Let's use the ACL because that's, you know, that's where we okay. are. So and they had a surgery with the ACL. They had they surgery. Had yep. Surgery. And, they, and they've, they've moved along. They've progressed through PT if you were doing right. the continuum of care, let's pretend you guys right. are doing the continuum of care I'll, here. When do you right. think would, that you'd let them? Right. I would say once I feel that one, their strength and both the right and left are equal, once their quads and hamstrings and abductors are equal, once the muscle strength is equal with both, once I can see that they're landing with proper knee form, their knee isn't buckling in, their knee isn't buckling too far forward, once they can jump and land on that one leg, with each all 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 form so breaking down sprinting we break down the push off if their push off is equal so their strength is equal if the landing is equal and if their stability of their hips are equal then i can start looking at sprinting but we'll start first with a slow jog and stopping and slowing down and stopping build up to the sprint so i'd say once we can break down the sprint components and work into it this may be on average if i look think back on the athletes i've seen it may not be till after ACL we're doing rehab. I'd say seven, eight months at least. At, and that's yeah. that's being conservative. Yep. Yep. Mike. I've really been thinking about that a lot too. Um, what I can do to get them ready, because Joe's gonna do more of that sprinting with them. But um the progressions to get them ready. So um, you know, doing some training of can they get into positions. And can they do it fast? So can they translate, you know, through, uh, you know, um, the body over this over a single leg fast? And what do they look like with that? So a good a good exercise is they start in a lunge position and they have to push up the single leg. If there's a lot of internal rotation and, and foot supination. It's all over the place. We're not we're not we're not sprinting yet. Also, what does a jump look like? You know, the single leg jump and landing and that single leg hop when they're constantly bounding. So, I mean, I'll make sure that's looking good. And you're right, the strength of the hamstrings and all that, but um, looking at their control too, a lot of proximal hamstring stuff, you know, glute ham drops, get them on the GHD, really building that up. And then can they get a good dissociation between that hip flexion, hip extension? So I do a lot of those uh, ham sliders out. You know, um, we brought on a, uh, he's like a, a speed and power performance. I uh, used to work with Joe. His name is Carmen Del Mastro. He's awesome. Nooch 13 on Instagram. Give him a shout out. He's got some great stuff in trying to train those specific positions and being able to translate that speed because the sprinting is really just that expression of that strength very fast. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm trying to clear all those things first. And then I like to get into a couple of basic running form things. A lot of these kids don't know how to run. So <laughs> they're sprinting, but the arms are going this way. Everything's going in, everywhere. So we break it down to some of these basic running drills. I have some things I use up against the wall. 
you know, the hand push, you can like, translate quick feet, quick feet, and really building up that foundation first. And then, like you said, you, like you said, Pat, getting into some of that jog, what does that look like? Okay, let's take it up a little faster. Let's take it up a little faster. Right. And going from there and then seeing what it looks like and actually teaching them how to run. Kids learn how to run, you know? Absolutely. So, and big um, difference between running on a treadmill and actually running, you know, on, on outs, off of a treadmill. Big yeah. difference in that. I think another good technique would be, you know, Joe does this, a resisted band. Have them run and drive forward. You could even do like a bear crawl, mountain climber type thing, and they eventually progress into a tall kneeling where they have to run against that resistance. Right. And he's holding them back and seeing where's their drive coming from first. Right. And then Great let them idea. go into free space and see what's happening, you know? So I think if they could clear a lot of those movement pattern things there, then, then we could probably say go sprint, you know? Absolutely. That's a great idea right there. And you know what? I, and I bring this up because Mike and I uh, share a patient right now. Well, she's no longer there. We won't use her name in here. But um, she plays soccer and she also runs track. And interestingly enough, she's doing really well with her training. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm posting things on her. So I had her, her, her fall track coach reach out to me and he asked me the same question she did because she came to me and she said, listen, I'm interested in running track in the spring. And I said, okay, what events do you run? She said the 200 and the 400. I said, okay. Um, when does the season start? She said mid-March. Now, she has been coming to me, what, Mike, yeah, I guess the beginning of January. So let's call it, I think she's just about five and a half months, okay? I was like, let me get back to you on that. I, 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 I didn't want to tell her right then and there that, like, that, that it's just not happening. When she came back in the next day or two days later, we did have the conversation. It was at the end of the, the, the session when she asked me, I was in transferring, you know, or transitioning into another client. That's not the conversation then. She came back in and we discussed it, just like I told her track coach. I don't feel comfortable with that. She's nowhere near ready for that. Like, she needs to be in with me and not hands-on with a, with a track coach right now. Uh, you know, he may have you know, good credentials as far as track and stuff like that. He, I don't, I would assume that he doesn't have good credentials on that, that post PT sports rehab end of things. And I just don't, I don't feel comfortable. Yes. She's getting stronger. And yes, she may have been hitting some of the check boxes that both you guys just talked about. But with all that being said, still in three weeks, I don't see her being at that point, which means then that's just the beginning of the season. For her to be at that eight, nine-month mark, she's at June, right? The end of May, June. That basically, okay. end of the school year, means no track, you know? And, that's, right. and on top of that, what I said to her was, she's already committed to a college for soccer, not for track. Right. Track, oh, wow. track she was using to be in better shape for soccer. So I told her, don't you worry about being in shape for soccer. I'll handle that as well. Yeah. You right. just don't worry yeah. about sprinting right now. Sprinting is not in in the in the um in the books right now. You know, that 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 will oh, yeah. come and just, you know, because it's simply that's why I asked that question because I, I wanted to hear both from both of you guys 
you know, um, so maybe she's listening as well. So she knows that I'm not, I'm not just being hard on her. She's a really hard worker. She gets it. She understands. I think she understood right away when I explained that to her. Um, listen, I'm a parent too. So I treat every one of these kids as, as if they're my own, you know, I wouldn't have my son go out there and do it. If I didn't feel like you were ready. Well, I'm not going to let your daughter go out there and do that either. Oh, absolutely. You, you played it. You did the right thing. And, you know, even going back to track, even if she felt fine, she felt fine running forward and back. You're going to be getting your body to do a lot of linear movements. You're going to be a lot doing a lot of forward and back movements. But as we know, to properly rehab for soccer, there's so much lateral, there's so much twisting motion going on that she would have been spending her time doing something that's great for the forward and back. But there's so much more that you're missing out on and you need to dedicate your focus and time. Like Mike was saying, we can't overstress ourselves and overdo ourselves. So how about focus on the one thing? And I think what you prescribed to her was excellent. Yeah, I think um, she committed for soccer. That's a priority next to track. You know, she doesn't have anything for the track. She could always pick that up going forward. Um, it's just it's too early right now. So soccer is the main focus and we got you got to stay the course. Um, but the mechanism of injury is that plant and twist. And like Pat said, you know, track is very linear and explosive. The concern of re-injuring like, uh, you know, uh, um, the ACL again is probably minimal track, but other issues, you're coming off a major surgery. There's a lot of development that has to occur. You're running a risk of hamstring strain, you know, um, any other issues, you know, tendinopathy and Achilles, you know, plantar fascia issues, your body can't handle that explosive effort. And then the whole deceleration thing, which is something that Joe's working on teaching these kids how to decelerate. You know, when she comes through the line, you have to decelerate. You have the ability to do that. And then what happens? And then when you're constantly, when you decelerate and you plant into the ground, then what happens there? Is there upon fatigue, any, you know, valgus internal rotation and that stuff. So there's all other issues that could happen. Um, but then again, like you said, you're, you're training one thing, but it's not specific to the sport that you're committed at. So you just got, you got to nix it. And it's just, it's soccer going forward, you know, and you could pick that up going down the line. That would be my answer, you know. I would agree with that. I got another question for both of you guys. We'll do the same thing. I'll have Dr. Pat answer first. Mike, you kind of chime in afterwards. I got a question as far as valgus, okay? And where your concern lies when they're, returning back to sport on the concentric or the eccentric part of the landing. Are you okay with some of that concentric valgus compared to the eccentric valgus in jumping? Pat, Dr. Pat. Right. Yeah, I would say in jumping. So the concentric valgus, valgus being, you know, when a knee is buckling in and for all of our younger athletes that may not be familiar with it. And then concentric valgus so i'm thinking when they're pushing off from the floor versus when they're landing and absorbing it i would say i my biggest fear is the landing part the knee buckling in i try to avoid that as much as possible if their knee buckles in i, I try to avoid it in both movement patterns when they're pushing off the floor if they're pushing off the floor and the knee is buckling in i'll look at the factors is it because their foot is being is flattening out too much is it because they're in their shin they're they're twisting their shin too much and i'll try to eliminate those factors as much as i can but to answer your question if i had to pick one to avoid most i'd avoid that time when they're squatting down or they're landing and their knees buckling in for me that's a no-no because you're absorbing your body weight and to me that's just 
too much strain when you're actually absorbing your body weight. Yeah, I think now that you break that down, that that does make sense, Pat. The uh, concentric, you're loading and you're pushing off, but you're going into an open space. Right. When you're landing, you're between the contact of the ground and your body, so something is going to take that hit. So, you know, when and the knee gets caught in the middle of whether the hip or the, the foot is off. So the, the landing is usually more of the concern, and that's probably why a lot of the injuries happen upon the land. Mm-hmm. Um, but with some of these kids, it's not even the valgus, where it's really like, you know, like Bambi. <laughs> it's rotation. The femur will rotate in, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see that, and that's the problem. Um, so trying to get them to understand that. And the foot control. Um, which will probably be maybe this would segue into the next thing we always talk about is is, is the foot control. Yes. Um, I don't know what type of stuff are you seeing with with these soccer players and these field athletes with their feet. Right. Uh, great point right there. Right now I'm working on a a soccer goalie. He's actually a goalie on my team. He's a goalie on my team. He played college soccer at NJIT as a goalie. Okay. Now one thing that I've seen with him is you know he is already 23 years old. And, you know, he's not, a, he's not a kid anymore. He's not a high school athlete anymore. But even him, he's still, when I had him, he's coming from AFR, actually. He didn't have ACL surgery. He just had a stress. To, his doctor believes he's had a chronic ACL sprain. So he probably had his ACL sprain while he was in college, and he's still getting pain. What I've been noticing with him, whenever when I first had him doing squat jumps and landing, jumping and landing, jumping and landing, I noticed he was really landing on his toes and not really absorbing the weight going from toe to heel he's just landing straight onto his toes and whenever for all of our athletes listening whenever you're landing full contact on your toes and not really absorbing the weight going from toes to heel you're putting strain on the front of your knee because the force goes straight up your shin to the front of your knee and it's pulling pulling on your acl ligament slightly it's putting extra strain to the front of your knee why a lot of athletes will feel that front of the knee pain especially during sports so for the foot i've been catching that especially lately how do you feel about the uh, the cleats? That's been something that Joe and I have talked about a lot. Uh, we actually had somebody right. come on who recommended um, a spike type of cleat, but I we have a handful of athletes now that have tears because of the Nike cleats that have these like uh, slots on the bottom. It right. looks like lines, so they dig into the ground and there's nowhere to rotate. They look horrible. They look like a football cleat. Right. Um, and when I played soccer, it was all circular, all circular nubs so you could spin circular out. Studs, right. yeah. And I don't really care what Nike thinks, but Nike sticks her hands in everything. And that's what I got. And that's what it is. Just stick to your running. That's what you do. You make running shoes. We don't got to right. make soccer cleats. And they're making these cleats and they make no sense. Right. You any of that? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, to touch on that, it's become such a marketing battle in soccer. You know, we look at the TV right now, Champions League is going on. So we look at what the top players are playing and guess where the big bucks are. It's, it used to be Adidas in the nineties. Adidas used to dominate soccer. And that's what we played growing up. We were Adidas. and They really tried to make the best quality shoe for athletes. Now, since Mikey came in with Nike came in in the late two thousands and recently, Nike has overtaken most most of the players in the in the Premier League and the yeah. top leagues in Europe wear Nikes, and that's what we see and that's what we buy. Now, these companies they want us to buy the shoes. They've given up the concern of making safe shoes, making like you were saying those round pegs to allow us to twist. Because most of us aren't playing, most of our athletes aren't playing soccer in the best grass fields possible. We're yeah. playing dirt fields with bumps. Yeah. Even if it's turf, it's a lot of hard turf. Yeah. But Nike 
and a lot of these big corporate companies, they want these flashy shoes. They want bright colors. They want quickness. They want to say, this is the lightest shoe you can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll sacrifice a millimeter, a millif of a gram. They'll sacrifice 0.01 gram of weight just to give you a faster shoe, just to say that their shoe is faster than Adidas. And now you're yeah. cutting so many corners. Yeah. So definitely I've seen that. And to me, when I see these little light shoes that barely feel like you're holding anything, that's a big concern for me. Yeah. And along yeah. with what you said with the bottom. Yeah. You don't need that for soccer. You need a shoe that's going to support the foot. Right. This isn't track and field. I mean, yeah, you want to wear a spike or whatever, but honestly, that's not going to make you fast. I can tell you that right now, having a background as a runner, you're either fast or you're not. You know? right. I mean, you have the mechanics, you're not. The spike's not going to make a difference. I mean, you know, Kenyans run barefoot. <laughs> right, right. You know, they grow up that way. And, then, and they actually don't like wearing some of those spikes because it hurts their feet after a while. So right. you're right. It is a marketing thing. I'm seeing that. So I'm really telling all the parents, you got to get on, you know, um, go to East Bay, go on, online, go to a running warehouse, wherever you can find it. And um, look for Adidas, Diodora, Umbra, and just get a basic cleat. It's what you need. You know, Absolutely. You need to, and you know, and have the athlete test it out. You know, I've, I've bought soccer cleats in the past during my seasons. And those that look really flashy and really nice, I put them on. My foot is a little bit wider on the front. An yeah. athlete, a lot of Nike shoes and even some Adidas shoes. Very well, Adidas narrow. tends to have wider. Yeah. Exactly. Nike tends to be more narrow. Yeah. Well, well, all my friends, my soccer team are wearing those shoes. I want it too. Well, guess what? You're squeezing your foot and the, yeah. your foot naturally is a little wider at the front into this tiny little shoe. You're going to be off. You're not even going to be playing at your best. So you have to have your son, have your daughter, and you as the athlete, take responsibility, try on the shoe, make sure you feel at your prime, at your best with it, and yeah. safe. Yeah, sure. I mean, just think about that. Like, being in a shoe or a sneaker that isn't fitting right is going to, going to change your gait. When you so change much. your gait, you're setting yourself up for injury. I mean, Easily. That's, that's, what, that, that's what we're seeing here. So, yeah, I mean, to me – that seemed to be a, a big factor, especially in the one that we just saw that was a retail. We actually had the video of it and we saw, and you could see, I asked him to send me the shoe. I wanted to see the bottom of the cleat. And he said right. to me, and I sent it to Mike, I said, do you believe this? It was like this, this angle wow. pieces all over the bottom of the cleat. And you could see right. the minute his foot went into the turf, it just bit and twisted. You know, again, we're playing on artificial surfaces now. I would rather see you in no cleat. I mean, I don't want to see you slide all over the place, but I'd rather right. see you slide out than have your leg or your foot yeah. bite into the ground and then, you know, then forcefully twist. Right. And, and every field is different. Some of these turfs are not the same quality. And I get that in my league. We played on a lot of turf fields. And one town's turf field is a lot different than other towns. Some of them are built on a hard surface. Some of them are built on a soft surface. It's It's – you need the top quality, the safety. It's, I don't want to mention any names, but one of my closest friends, he still does it on the side. He was a, a let me, I'm trying not to give up as much information. I don't want to get him in trouble at all. He was, I don't know if you guys know the, the high school in New Jersey called St. Benedict's. It's one of the top soccer schools in New Jersey. He didn't, he wasn't the soccer coach. He was a coach of another sport in the school. I can't mention the names because I don't want to get him in trouble, but his athletes will get free shoes from different sports companies that they wanted their athletes to wear the shoes. When he would get the Nike shoes, he told me, oh, we would just throw them out back. We'd throw them away or donate them somewhere. We yeah. wouldn't wear those shoes. We'd yeah. wear New Balance. We'd wear Asics. These were shoes that were built for athletes to, yeah. to perform well. Yeah. 
look, marketing, marketing is no big secret anymore, especially now with social media and stuff being exposed. I mean, um, you can look at athletes and stuff that are sponsored. Um, brands want to look for uh, what, what they could get their, their name in front of. So you have an athlete that gets a lot of exposure. That, that's where the whole like Instagram thing blew up. It's like you have a lot of followers, you have a lot of exposure, companies are going to throw stuff at you. And now it's really come down to like, I think Instagram kind of figured out that algorithm. Now no one really gives a shit. And that's why these high school kids are getting so crazy about followers and all this other stuff, because they think it's like a big deal to be big. But the thing is, is that, you know, if a company really wants to support you and stuff like that, and you're a good athlete, like you'll be able to get the sponsorship. You don't have to be so flashy because sometimes these companies will find people that have a lot of following. They'll just throw products at them and and athletes will take free products or whatever and, and whatever, just to be, look, they might wear, or show something doesn't I mean they use it. Like, do you think a lot of these pro athletes drink Gatorade? I mean, come on. I mean, Gatorade, right. honestly, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not trash. I mean, there's worse sports drinks out there, but it's not the best thing that's out there now. Now we have more education on, on, on uh, nutrition. Um, there's better sources of sugars and hydrations that you could get. But when they show these athletes drinking it and doing it, I mean, I mean, come on, like an athlete's going to take the money for the commercial and show that he's doing, he's not really doing that. Give me a break. So right, right. Um, I, I don't, I personally don't even wear any of those big name brands too anymore. Like Nike, Under Armour, they're all just selling out for this stuff. There's so many other quality products that come from like the smaller brands, stuff from Europe, things like that, that make better quality stuff. I mean, shoes, yeah. I mean, Nike, yeah, they make a great spike and stuff, but there's, Believe it or not, Skechers makes a very good uh, shoe for the track oh, yeah. now, you know? It's incredible. Like, there's other brands out there. I mean, a shoe I wear for the trail comes from Britain. I mean, this just stuff wasn't around when I was younger, but you always knew the big-name brands, and they want to get their face out there, their name out there, and people think, oh, like you said, it's flashy, it looks good, but right. it, it's not, you know? It's, it's, all, it's all just a bunch of BS, to be honest. Absolutely. The, yeah. last, the last pair of shoes I bought for my season, I was out at uh, Dick's Sporting Goods shopping around, yeah. And I was trying to each on. I must have, my buddy was going to kill me. I probably took an hour there just trying on shoes. He hated it. Yeah. But as I tried them all, honestly, the one yeah. that appealed to me most that fit best was the one I have now. I'd love to pull it out of my closet for you guys. But it was, I, honestly, it was one of the cheapest shoes there. It was only like, I, I wasn't looking of getting a $230 shoe. I used to do that yeah. at this point in my life. I'm not doing that. It was a, it was a Puma. It was a Puma shoe. Yeah. And I'm not even endorsing Puma shoes at all. I'm not saying go out buy Pumas. It just fit my foot the best. Yeah. It had the proper padding. Padding. It wasn't the lightest, but I like that. It was a little bit padded, and I need that. You know, yeah. I need yeah. that. Yeah. Hey, listen. Usually, as we get close to the end of the show, I like to go into um, a couple questions, asking you, um, what are what are some of the things that are kind of keeping you up at night right now? What are what are some challenges and things that are keeping you up at night? Great. Oh, very good question. Mm, very deep question. I love it. Yeah. I love it. A lot of things, you know, I didn't know it was a good therapy session. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Let me bring out my journal. Let me bring out my journal. There you go. Hold on. I got my, I got my pen and pad over here. I'm writing. There we go. There we go. <laughs> let's see. There's a lot of things. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I would say, let me see. It's a very, very good question do you want it to be related to that high school sports athlete? Yeah. I mean, listen, it could, it could be about, you know, the, the next, uh, the next project that you got going on, you know, um, right, right. 
an athlete that you just can't figure out something with 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 their um, with their foot, the ankle collapse. It's just you know, what, what's right, kind of right. keeping you up at night? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. I mean, one right now, she's an older athlete. Uh, this this woman, she's in her thirties, thirty five. She's an athlete that I'm treating. We're getting near the end of her, their her her prescription, a surgical prescription following ACL injury and something that she really wants to get, get back to doing is skiing. Now she's gotten a lot better with me with single leg hops and all those things, but it's only been 10 months, you know, and I'm trying to tell her, I, I don't feel, I don't feel safe with you going back to skiing. So I'm just trying to get across to that, to her now before she ends up hurting herself. I just don't feel like she has the power and stability ready for that. So I guess, you know, I'll, asking people to understand their limits for the time period and put some of the things they love on pause for a little while until they're fully ready for this. There you go. Great answer. Great answer. So another question I have, um, again, people that are listening, chances are you're probably watching my stuff. Uh, I'm big on, you know, trying to find different success habits, you know, things that, that are, keeping me, you know, on that path, that journey to, to success and defining success and the different things that come along with that. Um, but I'm always curious about other people's success habits, you know, like your morning routine or, or just typical things that you do each day or that you have been doing each day that have gotten and gotten you to the point where you are now. Yeah, great, great question. I love it. One of my success habits, and I, I take this from actually listening to a, a, something that Joe Rogan said, and he said that, you know, he plans out his week in his head, and no matter what he says, I'm going to lift weights three days out of this week. I'm going to go for a run twice this week. Now, he doesn't write specifically, I'm going to do this Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He's like, I don't care when it is, I have to get it done by the end of the week. And that's something that revolves in my head, whether it's with my soccer doc channel, I say, I'm, I'm going to publish at least two videos this week, get it done. And a lot of times it's with my patients. I think about them in the back of my head of saying, thinking when I see them next time, I want to try this. So it's that mental discipline with sports and with life, with work, with school, that us and our athletes, we have to have that discipline saying, I don't care when I get it done, I'm going to get it done. If there's a deadline to get it done, then yes, get it done before the deadline. But a lot of times we need to write it down and get it done. If we just put it on paper and cross it out. You're, you're killing yourself. You're selling yourself short. Keep that discipline and just get it done by the end of the week. Awesome. All right. And the last one, what's your, uh, and this kind of ties into the first one a little bit, but what is your, your biggest obsession right now? What is something that you're obsessing about, whether it be a, a new training product? Um, right. Right. Um, yeah, I'm obsessing about, Honestly, edu well, with what I'm doing with the work, I'm obsessing about educating people on their favorite athletes right now. I'm covering, just did a Neymar video of him and his rehab, getting back to him, getting back to full fitness. So I'm obsessing about just educating the public on their favorite players and what they're going through, getting them back to full health. A lot of times we see athletes and somebody commented on my video fall on the floor when we watch a TV game and we say, oh, he's just faking it. Why is he doing that? And right now I've been loving fusing that anatomy and that that knowledge to what's going on people's favorite athletes so you can better understand the sport and what goes on behind the scenes to get to that top level that it just doesn't come overnight success doesn't happen overnight there's a lot of work to be done in the gym with great trainers like you guys good stuff man dr pat dr pat bringing it bring it tonight michael 
So well, listen, you I usually me. let uh yeah let Mike kind of tie it in at the end here. I love his um his little send off that he that he gives the audience here. So and he's always got that thinking you know that that thinking pose going on. So I hate Mike, this when I'm in a podcast and and the stupid email thing comes over and shrinks my screen. This is the problem with these computers. Yeah, yeah. No reading emails while we're podcasting. No, garbage. Garbage. So. Just kind of, you know, circle this back around for us, Mike, and uh, we'll finish up our, our podcast tonight with Dr. Dr. Pat. Um, but just, yeah. give us your final words here, Mike. Yeah, I, Joe and I started this podcast because uh, this is a great way, you know, for education. Um, I don't know, who's the most popular podcast? Joe Rogan and then TED Talks are like the two big ones, but... I think podcast started when it was just like, you know, one guy and sitting there talking about like, what's the meaning of life and all this other stuff and like spiritual stuff. And that might be good for some people, but I personally found a lot of that just a little bit boring. I, I really get excited about listening to people talk that I might not otherwise have an opportunity to, to listen to. I listen to people on podcasts come all over the world. Um, I mean, Joe Rogan's popular for bringing on, on guests. He was on a lot of celebrities, but he also brings on some really cool people that you might not otherwise be able to get to hear speak. And some of these other fitness podcasts, you get to listen to physicians, you know, uh, physical therapists, trainers, business owners, um, bring, and you get to hear them talk and you get to uh, just see like what's going on around the world and hear different perspectives, meet different people, different backgrounds, understand things. I mean, um, you know, like you said, you know, you're from Brazil. I mean, we didn't get to talk about a lot about life with that, but I mean, that could be a future conversation for coming back on the podcast, That's like cool. just differences in things and how growing up, training, healthcare, all that. I think podcasts really allow people to connect and understand a little bit more about the world and get outside their bubble. Um, I think it's unhealthy to live in your bubble and not understand that there's a whole big space out there. And I think that if we can get information out there and, and Joe and I really want to try to network, even though we don't work like you and I, you know, we're not in the same, like, you know, a couple miles, like you work up in Jersey here, but technology allows us to network where we yeah. want to build a big network of having resources for stuff. Like we have, we have a situation or, or an athletic problem or just a project. We could reach out on social media and bring in advice from all those other people. That's why I always like mention people that we brought on previous podcasts, give them shout outs because it's a good source. Like you might want to go on and, and look at their page and learn something cool and all, and all about that. And, bringing this big network of people kind of like a committee of, of where the good knowledge is and spreading that information. I think um, there's a lot of loss of education amongst the general population. And I think that two things are going to happen from COVID. I think you're going to have a population of people that have really fallen off and are, are spiraling down a dark path uh, of unhealthy habits. You're seeing it already, even with a lot of elderly, the, the solitary confinement is what I call it. The depression is taking a toll on them because they can't do anything. Right. And then you also have another population of people that are really taking ownership of their health and doing stuff like, you know, building home gyms, doing things like that and starting to say, wow, I quarantined, I sat on the couch for six months, I Netflixed, I feel like shit, I look like shit, this is unhealthy, I, I got to do something about this. So we're going to see two spans of that. And we need good education to guide that. And um, I heard Dr. John Rusin. I don't know if you know who he is. Yes. Uh, yeah. He came on a podcast and talked about that. And he said, we are not doing enough education to the people. When quarantine hit and they said, stay in your house, stay safe, all this other stuff. Well, what does that mean? Like, 
being in the house of quarantine was actually more detrimental to a lot of yes. people than letting them go out and do something. So we need to educate people on, on how to be healthy. What can you do in your house? We live in an age where you don't need to have a globo gym to get fit. Um, you know, these kids, high school kids can, can do stuff. That's what I explained to all my athletes. I'm like 20, 30 minutes of a routine of doing something with a kettlebell. I'll probably get you more fit than you were going to LA fitness, dicking around on machines. You Absolutely. Know? Yep. Um, you know, so that, that's really what we're trying to accomplish through this podcast is trying to get the education out, getting parents, getting coaches, getting other therapists and people educated to get the right information. Because I think that our society is very, um, polluted by, misinformation and right. just money and, and big corporations are throwing stuff out. Like the example of Nike, just throwing cleats out. And the more educated the consumer is, the less power these corporations have. Cause if no one buys this shit, they're not making it. Yeah, right. That's the best way to get right. to, you know, and then they, they're going to have to change their focus. To, exactly. To they're going to have to adapt. But right now they know, I mean, it, it sounds harsh, but the people are stupid. And, right. and and the smart the more educated we can make people, the smarter they become. The less right. power these corporations have, and the more that they can understand and adapt to that, you know. So they could start making products and things that that are good good for people. Getting back to right. and there are companies out there that that do the right thing for people, and we have to get that education, that knowledge. Out. That's why we really like doing this and bringing out all these minds, sharing this information and connecting, and trying to share it the the most we can to the people that need to hear this stuff, you know. It's absolutely learning absolutely yeah. learn about it now when it can benefit us rather than learning about it when we're hurt and you know yeah. when it's yeah. a little too late in the process but hey, it's never too late but it's best to learn it now to prevent injury yeah folks that is why we let mike get the last word in he just sits there that just that just billows and brews through the entire podcast and then we just freaking let him go at it that was wonderful and i hope we got that he's yes me too i hope this records um i think it is i see it up there in the red light it's going on yep so um so the last thing is dr pat where's where's a where's the best place for people to find you right you can find me on instagram at soccer doc you can find me on youtube i've been growing my youtube channel I've got a couple thousand views and recent videos i put up at soccer doc as well and TikTok, my TikTok's grown. I have over 10,000 likes on TikTok and at SoccerDoc, all those three platforms. I just thank found you. you. Just uh, hit your follow here. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm definitely going to follow you guys. Love to be in on the podcast. And I can tell you two are both coaches that are very passionate about what you do. Mike's a physical therapist and you, Joe. You guys are both very passionate rehab specialists. And I love that. And I think the athletes that are under your care and a top-notch quality because what separates, you know, good from the best is the passion because passion will allow you to learn and allow you to do the best for your athletes. And you guys have that passion. Appreciate it. I definitely refer to my college athletes. They're going back to school, have some college baseball players at Scranton. I definitely now know a quality place in PA that I can. Listen, and that's part of this, right? It's part of building a network, you know, like it's a, it's a long uh, joke at, at my house that my kids think I know everybody. Right. I listen, I bartended for 20 years. That kind of helps out too, you know? <laughs> um, but you know, with, with all that, it's just, it's constantly not being afraid to talk to people, ask questions. That would, that's what inspired this podcast in the, in the first place. It's curiosity, you know, and, and what are you doing right. and how are you doing it? And which way are you doing it? And, and where are you from? And so this to me is, it's just a great way. And, and to be quite honest, if it wasn't for COVID, who knows if this ever would have happened? Cause I had, talked to Mike about it so many times we finally had him 
stuck in the house and he had nothing else better to do than get on a podcast with me. Uh, there you go. Got <laughs> and we got it started. <laughs> and that's, I mean, I don't know how much of that I'm sugarcoating. I'd probably say none, you know, but uh, Mike, <laughs> where can they find you at? Uh, I'm at Instagram at the new handle, honey badger underscore juicy. And then I'm at uh, Mike St. George on Facebook. Uh, I don't, I don't really use Facebook that much. I think Facebook, I keep saying this, it, it's a toxic environment. I think it's trash, but I'm, I'm going to get my LinkedIn back up. So I'll be at Mike St. George on there, but I really put a lot of content out on the Instagram. It's a mix of PT, stupid ass shit, uh, training for obstacle course racing, Spartan race, that stuff. And just, fitness stuff you know so um i try to keep it fun and entertaining so i'm on there um bunch of just stuff yeah man so knock yourself out. <laughs> fantastic all right you can find me on instagram at coach underscore haas you can also go to the sports rehab um at sports rehab pa you can also go to the youtube channel coach haas uh, same thing. I just use the Coach Haas page now on Facebook, so you can go there as well to find me. Uh, I believe this was another successful Thursday night. You guys, I can't thank you enough. This has become another passion of mine to, to get this podcast moving again. I was dragging my feet. We had a little bit of a lull there. We're back. We got some momentum here, Mike. We got some guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. This is good stuff. Dr. Pat, we'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Boys, have a great night. Thanks for having me. All the best. All right, man. Take care. Take talk to you.